most of the people that are looking at the AI industry right now are focusing on the wrong aspect. They actually, they're, they're thinking that since ChatGPT can produce incredible text, which makes sense, and yet in many cases be factually wrong, it can actually be a revolution in content development. And for sure, there is a further development into the content industry and the content generation industry, and of course, other image generators like Stable Diffusion and DALI will actually play a key role when it comes to content generation and creativity in general. But the real change, and the change which most probably is creating uh, the next trillion dollar industry, is not just the change in content development, which I argue is the smallest part of this revolution, is actually the change in the software paradigm. Let me explain. One of the most interesting aspects when you take a generalized tool and a conversational interface like ChatGPT or if you wish, a wish GitHub Copilot is the fact that those tools can produce code. They can actually understand a lot of programming languages and they can actually generate code and speed up the software development process. Of course, for software developers that have been using this tool, just like for content writers, they also realized the drawbacks of something like ChatGPT, where in many cases that the code which is spitting out, it may be, uh, it might have actually bugs, it may be not 100% accurate, and therefore you still need to tweak it or still need to actually develop specialized tool for coding, things like you know GitHub Copilot, which will, which will be able to be good especially at coding because you probably gonna need to train them and fine-tune them on a, on a set of libraries and programming languages and other stuff that you can actually so that you can actually make them much much better at coding reduce the bugs in the code and therefore further improve software development but let me focus right now on why this is a change in paradigm for the software development industry and why this might actually transition us in a new era of software development, the kind of companies that we might see rising. And just like uh, when we went from a different paradigm for software in the 90s and then early 2000 to moving to the cloud-based software development, uh, development paradigm, how this part the whole industry of companies like uh, software as a service. So let, let, me, let me actually explain a little bit uh, and some of uh, the core strengths and the interesting parts of this new software paradigm. And then, of course, we also go to some of the drawbacks and uh, the things that uh, may be, you know, uh, quite uh, exciting on the other side, but have also huge trade-offs on the other side, and therefore might also prompt uh, an industry which is that of auditing code that may be as important as uh, that of uh, generating code in the first place. Now, if you followed a little bit the development of the software uh, industry in the last uh, decades, you've seen that um, in the last, uh, let's say, 30, 40 years, especially in the 90s and then early 2000s, we moved from a software paradigm which was mostly on-premise, meaning that each company was building its own software infrastructure, primarily hosted on its own servers and uh, you know, primarily managed in-house, to a software industry which instead completely moved to off-premise and to a sort of cloud-based infrastructure. 
Of course, now we're moving more toward an hybrid approach where other players are also focusing and, you know, large players which have uh, the core part of the software hosted internally are moving to a sort of more hybrid model. But it's still worth remembering that, uh, for instance, large companies like Netflix still use uh, part of uh, their infrastructure and then, and then have part of their infrastructure hosted on top of players like Amazon AWS. So again, the cloud infrastructure has completely changed the software paradigm. And the interesting part is it's also completely reshaping and changing, enabling this AI revolution. As I explained in previous episodes, what really enabled those generative models to become powerful and do incredible things was really the ability to have more computational power at the end to actually train those models on top of the transformer-based architecture. In other words, in order to generate the kind of outputs that we need right now, one revolution that went through was actually the ability to do parallel computing and to actually have uh, you know, something that went behind the CPU, which was the GPU, um, which uh, is the graphic processing units that uh, companies like NVIDIA have uh, pioneered. And that's why companies like NVIDIA are actually right now benefiting from this explosion in AI, because pretty much if you take all the supercomputers, AI supercomputers that are getting built by companies like Microsoft, AWS, uh, Google, I mean, most of those companies are using the GPUs from, from NVIDIA. And of course, many other companies are moving into creating their own architecture for GPU because having a GPU, a dedicated GPU, which you can architecture from scratch, can actually create a huge competitive advantage in the future going toward an era where those large language models and large generative models will require more and more computational power. Now, why are we living through this new software paradigm? What's the evolution here and what's interesting to look at right now? So this new software paradigm, uh, again, is made of um, a new kind of uh, software architectures that are AI-based and that are pretty much generalized. In other words, when something like ChatGPT was launched, by nature, something like ChatGPT cannot be launched in a niche market. Why? Well, because usually the underlying language model that is at the basis, at, as the foundation of ChatGPT, is actually good at very generalized tasks. And if you were to narrow it down, actually to put too many guardrails into the model, you were limiting it at the point of making it uh, useless. Therefore, that's why the interesting part to me as well, when it comes to AI, at least a foundational, at, at the foundational layer, and if you don't know what's the foundational layer, is go back and listen to the previous episodes. But at the foundational layer, so all the players which are building the foundational layer of, of AI, like OpenAI, Stability, or Google, pretty much, you know, it's very hard to launch a verticalized tool initially because you don't know the kind of things that this tool can do extremely well once it has been put in the hands of users. That's why launching something like ChatGPT in a generalized way and then narrowing that down, verticalizing the tool makes sense because in that specific case, a large language model is very good at generalized tasks. So this is the paradigm number one. Those language models compared to the old 
previous software paradigm are very good at generalized tasks, not necessarily at specialized narrow tasks. But instead, you're going to need a quite consuming fine-tuning process in order to make them good at very specific tasks. Indeed, right now, as I explained in previous episodes, many companies would be trying to build the so-called uh, middle layer of AI, where you try to build, let's say, the next AI lawyer, AI assist, or like AI accountant, and many are giving for granted that this is possible to do uh, thanks to large uh, data sets which are specialized in, in, in those corporate functions. But in reality, the thing is, fine-tuning those large language models to make them good at extremely narrow tasks might be uh, much harder than we think, much more expensive, since the fine-tuning process is actually, in many cases, to make the, the generalized model extremely good in, a, in very specific tasks. It may be like a human-based endeavor, and therefore make the whole development process of this sort of software quite consuming, time-consuming, and also very, very expensive. So this is quite interesting to understand. Again, Right now, the software development industry is moving toward a paradigm where really uh, it's uh, all mostly generalized and then afterward it can get, you know, specialized. And of course, another interesting thing, which was as explained in, pre in previous episodes and it was uh, an emergent property and capability of those large language models is prompt engineering. And prompt engineering itself, it's changing the whole software development industry because it's sort of combining UI and UX in a single a sort of uh, general interface, meaning that in order for you before to actually being able to develop properly a software which had narrow features, you needed to make sure that this software could actually uh, be uh, you know, developed with the various uh, languages and uh, with the various kinds of, uh, uh, you know, uh, iterations, where, for instance, one thing was the backend, another thing was the UX, and then you connect them together. And um, the thing is, right now, with prompt engineering, that can be used both as a way to actually, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's say, uh, create the UX of the product, where also making sure that you can enable the features of the product. In other words, the natural language interf interface is going to become a unified interface, both from back end and front end, where we had, until now, a software development industry where there was a key differ difference between back end and front end. Right now, we might see a software development industry where the two things are merged, are merged together. And Therefore, we might have software developers that might become more general experts at both things in order to actually tweak both things like with prompt engineering because they might all be lumped up in a single interface as we move forward. That may be another thing that might happen. One other interesting aspect of this new found software paradigm is actually how we moved from big data to small data. In other words, uh, before, before, in order for you to actually uh, create a valuable, uh, you know, software at scale, you know, take the example of Google, right? In order for you to build valuable search engine at scale, you needed a huge, huge, huge amount of data. And you needed it in a continuous way, meaning that each time that you're going on Google, it's not like Google is throwing away the index, it's actually reusing each time over and over again, and then ranking the stuff and uh, uh, giving a result for the searches that you're performing. Right now, instead, in the current paradigm of software, you do need a huge amount of data when it comes to pre-training those models. So when it comes, for instance, to generate, to create the ChatGPT 
a product, a product like ChatGPT or like GPT-3, right? But then, once you do have the foundational model available, you don't need any more the data which has been used in the pre-training. All you need is small data, meaning data that you can use to actually fine-tune the model at the point to make it extremely customized for the user and therefore quite interesting because it becomes much more valuable and personalized. This connects to another point which is in context learning. So in a previous software paradigm, in order for, for instance, a software provider, or let's say a company to actually make sure that it could customize the software, you might need, for instance, the data to flow back to the, the, the let's say, the property of the software development uh, house where the, the, the whole thing is hosted and where you could process this data through your servers and therefore enable features on top of this uh, software to actually make it customized. Right now, instead, what happens is uh, those large language models can be enabled to process the data on the edge of the network and therefore on top of the device of the user and perform in-context learning. So imagine, again, as explained many times in previous episodes, the case of stable diffusion on top of an iPhone, which is uh, has been packaged into an app for e-commerce experiences and therefore you go through an e-commerce and with your phone that accesses uh, the, this, uh, you know, this app, this stable diffusion app for e-commerce, which, which accesses your, your phone, your iPhone can actually customize your experience so that it can give you all the products that you need as you go through, for instance, this e-commerce store. Of course, those are the interesting developments of the current software paradigm. There are also negative aspects of this new and risk of this new software paradigm. One thing, of course, is the ability to audit those models, because assuming that a lot of developers right now will use things like, you know, GitHub Copilot to generate code, in case in which this code is going to be bug, it's going to have bugs, and yet it might work. For instance, imagine the case of, uh, you know, you have a, a GitHub Copilot generate a code for, for a web app, and uh, this works even if it, it uh, might have minor bugs, it still works, but then as you move forward and as you scale, for instance, this, uh, this web app and it becomes more and more complex and it adds more features, it might, you know, crash and not work anymore. Or for instance, uh, work in a way which was not intended because it can be that there were bugs which you were not able to audit in the first place because it, it becomes uh, much harder as well probably to, to audit those, those bugs. So. In other words, uh, the, the current software paradigm with generative models might actually transform a little bit the software industry, the risk uh, as a, at scale is it might transform a little bit the software development industry into a black box. And therefore, though, this is a business opportunity because whoever is creating debugging tools, so as tools like um, GitHub Copilot will grow in the market, the more you have counter tools which can debug at scale the code which is generated by machines will be extremely valuable because uh, the, they uh, enable the, uh, the, 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 the programmer to actually keep control over what's going on in a, in a, you know, a software uh, framework. Another key thing which uh, you know, is, um, is uh, uh, very important to highlight and that I explained in previous episodes is DI right now, especially when it comes to generating content, is a great improviser. If you look at it, uh, it's more like uh, DI knows how to produce things that uh, is, uh, does make a lot of sense from a grammatic standpoint, but then in many cases is not factually correct. 
And if you think about that, uh, this might also affect the way software development is done because again, you might have uh, code which is generated that might have bugs that you might not realize as you go along. And so it's very important that as those tools actually grow, uh, they also are able to audit uh, what's, uh, what the, the machine is generating, just like for tools like ChatGPT. We need to have guardrails where the, the tool is able to fact check what uh, is uh, generating on the fly while also giving references of what it's doing. And we know that, for instance, companies like Google are working on things like Sparrow and there are other tools like uh, Perplexed AI which are doing it and also ChatGPT most probably in the future might come with those guardrails in place. But this is the interesting development right now. The new paradigm for the software industry is moving toward spe uh, specialized versus uh, generalized, so the new era of generalized tools. And uh, prompt engineering is becoming uh, something extremely important to actually unify UI and UX. And um, uh, small data and in-context learning are important as well.